0: Namo tasa pakawato arahato sama samputasa Namo tasa pakawato arahato sama samputasa Namo tasa pakawato arahato sama samputasa Bhuttang dhammang sankang namasam I've Had a very nice day. Thank you for all your kindness very, very touching. Um, In the, one of the last readings from the island, Ajanamro, I think, I forget where these stories come from, but when Mampasamedo, you probably heard it, when he went back to, Thailand to visit Ajahn Cha after the first in the second year of Chithurst, he was raving on how about how great the Sangha was and how harmonious and how inspired everyone was building Chithurst, how great it was and Lampo Cha just said to him, you won't learn anything there. <laughs> Get it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we tend to say, wow, yeah, that's great, and we all want that, but if you think about our search for happiness or enlightenment, whatever whatever you call it, can it possibly be an object or an objective experience? Is that what we're looking for? When we get something that we want, we've been looking for it, searching for it. Is it the object that's important, or is it the end of wanting? Isn't that what we're searching for, the end of wanting? And that's the mistake of the patujana, is that thinking that because the object satisfies in some way, then more objects would be where it's at. And so the pursuit of objects is the delusion, and by objects we mean all experience, all emotional thought, you know, furniture, new chisels, new cars, and yet we need things. So we have a will have a new truck soon. So will that be the end of end of desire? I don't think so. So oftentimes we are really just taken by desire, we don't even know it, we're thinking. Much of Most of thought is, is driven by desire. And by desires we mean aversions too, so vibhavatana, kamatana and bhavatana. And then of course desire gets frustrated. And it's in the frustration of desire that we have a chance to notice desire. And then the frustration of desire, if we are um, convinced that the way out of that frustration of desire is then to seek an object, an experience we had in meditation, from a memory or a distraction into whatever we do. If we think that's the way to go, then that opportunity of seeing the frustration of desire and not going the pathway of pursuing objects, but going to the pathway of patience and non-grasping, we miss that opportunity. And if we miss that opportunity, then the strength of that kind of desire will come up again in a more uh, strengthened form. Because that's what we've done, that's the habit we've created, that's the karma we've created when desire is frustrated. So desire gets frustrated, and rather than bearing witness to that of frustration of desires like this, being patient, we move to another object. And that's samsara, and aimless wandering. And then the frustration of desire comes up as anger, as loneliness, uh, as the inability to get what you want, as depression, as self-disparagement, all all manner of ways this comes up in in our Task the four tasks we have in the four noble truths is really to first and foremost look at frustrated desire and make it conscious. If we don't do that and we just ricochet from one thing to another then we, we're not really in the ball game. We're not in the park. So it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be just frustrated with your meditation or just being critical of what other people are saying so like we'd like we'd like all of us would like everyone to be a certain way to be whatever so some you might find one monk is too loud one monk is too quiet um, whatever it is and then the mind because it doesn't like that obviously it, it feels frustrated and what does it do it becomes critical or angry or or removes itself from the situation. Boy, I don't want to be bothered with this, running away, um, absorbing into something, whatever it is. So the frustration of desire is very much the way Ajahn Chah um, taught. That was his one of his techniques, or one of his methods. Um, not not the suppression of desire, but just creating situations, and monastic life has that, of, of actually going against the pursuit of desire. Um, and he was very powerful that way, he was very, very uh, fearless that way, and very few monks would do that, especially in the West. Very few monks are interested in doing that, and I guess, I, I don't think, Western disciples would actually, I think they leave, I think they leave, certainly. But. Uh, So, in in our life here, we have much more opportunity for fulfilling desire than that existed in Thailand at the time I was there. Much more food, much richer uh, cultural experiences, much richer ways of engaging the intellect, um, um, heck of a lot of coffee, and so on and so forth. So, So, the avenues to... Um, fulfilled desire are are limited, but they are much much more available, say, than than a forest monastery in Thailand in those days. Even in Thailand now, the opportunities are more uh, because it's a richer culture, and that's just the way it is. So, um, the way one operates in this monastery really is very personal in that way. We have obviously we have boundaries, so. The very obvious ones are that we live celibate, that we have our Vinaya discipline, that we have our hierarchy, that we have duties and responsibilities, that we have routines that we are expected to, to um, go to. So those are places where you can look at wanting and not wanting. So wanting to go to a puja or not to go to a puja or not wanting to do a job or wanting to do a job. They're little things, but if you keep if you keep attention on the frustration of desire um, and you keep your eye on that, you get better and better at it, then that leads to the end of desire. And in the ending of desire, that's what we're really looking for. That's what the Buddha suggested. Our Our, our search for happiness comes in the end of desire rather than in getting some perceived experience of what we want it's, it's not the worldly way yeah. we can we can do ascetic practices if we want um, but how do you how do you counter that in your own practice how do you do you frustrate desire deliberately or is the life frustrating enough that you don't need to frustrate it? For some it is, for some it isn't. Um, one of the ways we, I would think, go against desires is we, is we try to do uh, formal practice. Because formal practice requires some, some, quite a lot of self-discipline. When, when we don't have a retreat, we don't have a structure, um, to actually not just fill up the time that, that comes to us that where we're not engaged in a group activity, to, to create some space there where we're doing formal practice. That's one way to go against desire. Because, because formal practice isn't very exciting, it's not very interesting. Um, and to sustain, like you have to do a day retreat, yeah, it's quite nice to do, but to do a day in and day out for years and years and years and years is, is, is a kind of discipline that goes against um, the, the, the more interesting way of like absorbing into whatever you like to absorb into. So do, do reflect on that, try to the times you have in the afternoon, um, try to really develop more formal practice. More, I I shouldn't say that, but um, look at how much formal practice you're doing, and see. So is that like, um, how am I using that time? And might I, might I, put more effort into like sitting in an afternoon or doing walking meditation um, for some period of time? So do do try to do that. I realize we all have duties and responsibilities, and there, there are things to do in the afternoon, but. Try try to look at that. Is there a period of time, or the one prop, when, or the work periods, or we don't have work periods? How do you how do you spend your time there? Formal practice is very 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 useful, very important, and it goes against desire. Um, so going against desire is also frustrating. Desire, isn't it? You're doing it deliberately. It's not huge. It's not huge, but it has a. It has a, an effect. And, and, of course, one of the ways we do that is we make aditana. We make determinations to go against some desire pattern that we have. Not in a way of self-mortification, but in the way of investigation. we to look at the, the activity that we're doing and understand desire and the frustration of desire. And the end of desire. The end of desire. With each other, if we're if we're like feeling critical of each other or judgmental of each other, um, to look at that as, sure, well, you know, we, there is training and so on, but a lot of it is just uh, the wanting a person to be other than they are. So sometimes that comes out as um, just the inner judging all the time. Sometimes it comes out as sort of. Um, rude behavior, or, or um, gossip, that can come out that way. Um, so that, if it's grounded in, in aversion, uh, it, feel, it might feel good sometimes to counter someone with aversion or gossip about them with aversion, but the result in your mind won't be peaceful. And that's the frustration of desires, aversion. So you, you look at that very sense of self and other. And you and you try to make conscious the other's behavior, and if it's within our norms, and then you can look at at the very sense of of uh, wanting the person to be other than you are, because that defines both you and them, doesn't it? And as you look at that, that's that you, you and not just believe in it. You're frustrating desire by looking at this uh, annoyance or aversion at someone, aren't you? So you're not just following the, the, the easiest way to criticize them and judge them and gossip about them, but you're actually looking at what is it, why do I why do I resist this person's behaviour? And if it's outside of our usual norms, then we talk about it in either personally or in the patimokkha, or whatever. But a lot of it is just um, dosa coming into consciousness because the the that's what the mind does. It it goes out and it and it judges and it because it wants the objective world to be a, a certain way. And then we're, we're um, conditioned to see, well, the objective world should be this way, and you should be that way, and the monastery should be this way, and the abbot should be this way, the anagarika should be this way, and so on and so forth. And, and to, to see that mind which creates self and other, you know, and to 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 make it conscious, not to be afraid of it, but no longer believe in it, is the frustration of desire. Because desire is saying to you, if that guy changes, then I'll be happy. And then the monastery will be great. You know, I won't suffer. Or if that guy wasn't here, I wouldn't suffer. Or if that guy acted differently, talked differently, did more, did less, um, then I'd I'd be alright. And so there's aversion. It's not so conscious, obviously, you know, we're not so conscious of it because we just jump into modes of criticism and, a, and, a, and aversion in ways that are uh, not, not very quick, very quick. That's one way that we can frustrate desires by awakening to aversion as an object and not becoming the subject of that belief system, that, per, that kind of projection that we put onto each other. Time. Time is, of course, uh, the great conveyor of desire. So the mind always moving to the future. Um, This kind of constant sense of becoming. Or even your meditation, trying to find an experience, looking for an experience. um, Or trying to reproduce an experience you had last time or last year. So, So in meditation... It's very, very important to to contemplate the timeless, to, to, con- to kind of, what is that, uh, man's curiosity searches past and future and clings to that dimension, but to apprehend the intersection of the timeless with time is the occupation of a saint. No occupation either, but a life lived in love, ardor, selflessness, and self-surrender. You know, this intersection of the timeless with time is something that—that that is uh, what spiritual life is about. And the desire, desire is always about time, isn't it? Uh, you think about how resentment works. Say if someone uh, did you a bad turn and uh, then later on you, you that memory comes up of having been hurt by someone, insulted or belittled, whatever it is. And that that memory is very unpleasant. It's very unpleasant. And rather than be with the unpleasantness of that, there's desire to get rid of it. And what do we do? We blame. And that's called resentment. We blame the person and we think we think uh, averse thoughts and we feel very justified and others will agree with you because it was true. But, but we've ensnared ourselves in self view. Self another. Self another. That's time. That's memory. And it's very real in a sense that you know, memory's real, but um, the creation of a self, that's not real. That's not necessary. So so we awaken our resentments this way. And the future. So if you've had a run in with someone and some negativity, then you think, oh, what am I going to say to him, or, I've got to say something, or, I don't want to see him again. Oh well, God, I have to go to him. And the mind starts to think of the future, and having to relate to this person where there's been some negativity. And that's time, and that's craving, the fearfulness, the anxiety, the, what am I going to do, trying to figure it out, That's that's craving time. So... So, in meditation, what one of the things we're really trying to do is really to look at that whole movement of past and future, and go beyond it, at least in one sitting. And by beyond it, I mean you're continually remembering the present moment, cutting through the sense of time that's created in thought, by knowing the way things are, knowing the way things are, the breath, or just suchness, whatever it is, and if, you, if we do that in a, in a meditation, rather than trying to get some experience in meditation or, or um, you know, attain to something, but rather just keep it quite simple and, and look at present moment awareness as a, as a training, as a training, then there's a lot of power in that half an hour of meditation. There's a lot of power then, which then highlights for you during the day this, this how sense of self is created in time, constantly. Yeah? And then all the anticipations, or worries, or fears, or, or resentments, or fantasies, they're all bound up in time. So you, you start to get a very simple method of breaking through those habits by just saying present moment awareness. You don't have to analyze them, you don't have to judge them, you don't have to make a comment about them, just present moment awareness present moment awareness, present moment awareness, which makes it very, very simple, very, very simple. Now we do need to think about the future, certainly, um, and we need to plan, and, and there are you know, projects to do, and, and finding the difference between functional time that we operate in, and shall we call it ego time, self time, I-making, my-making, there is a difference, there is a difference they they come together a lot sure but there is a difference and our, our our practice of then awakening to the timeless intersection of timeless with time is Is, is, a, is not based on desire because experience and getting an experience is based on me wanting something yes you know, so now i'm making a piece of furniture and that's very much desire in time I want make a nice piece of furniture, and uh, and I enjoy it, and so on and so forth. But the real work of making furniture is the timeless presence of cutting a piece of wood, for cutting a piece of wood, trying to do it well, uh, gluing something up for the sake of gluing something up, sanding it for the sake of sanding, right? trying to do it for the future. And that's very much what Sangha work is supposed to, that's what we're trying to achieve in the work projects that we do. We're trying to both get the project done, so we're not doing a, a kind of slow working routine that we do on a retreat. If you want to do slow walking, that's one way of doing walking meditation. But obviously that's not what we're doing when we're um, building something, or making something. But we are putting effort in, we're trying to do it very well for the sake of doing it well, for the sake of the present moment, for the sake of of um, doing something well. And so you learn a lot in the projects that, that we're asked to, to do, you learn a lot about trying to get stuff finished, you trying to get the product, and you find that it's not necessarily a good product, quite often you have to redo it, because you want to get it finished. And so a lot of our mindfulness training is around um just like like putting stuff back right um, doing doing the work well for the sake of doing it well moment by moment and and the and the habit of trying to get something finished is very strong, isn't it um, now it might it might seem like uh you you're not so efficient if you if you really just rush to get it done, but it's not true actually. If you do something well, uh, you'll find that each each step that you do, it has a foundation for the next step, for the next step, and it's very satisfying. It's very rewarding. But when you when you're rushing to get stuff done, uh you'll find it's not so rewarding because you never did it. It got done, but you never you were never really, really there, and the mind gets kind of stressed. I was waiting in the car must have been when we went to the University of Ottawa, yeah, I think it was that trip, and there was a yeah there uh, also when we were we were going make that u turn to get back to the parking lot remember that we got to we were on Nicholas there when we were arriving at yeah uh, you there <laughs> anyway he used to he was with me, <laughs> but anyway we, we were, we were making. We had kind of. We stopped at a stoplight, and there was two people going across the lights. One was walking, and he was stressed. And Nirasa joked, "Oh, he's probably trying to get to my lecture," right? <laughs> But he looked really stressed, really kind of his, his body, whole body language, reaching forward, and like like he's going to some horrible lecture. And there's another person, right at the same time, jogging. And the, the person jogging had straight back, and they looked really happy. And they're going the same pace. <laughs> same pace, exactly. And one was moving well, moving quickly. The other was moving not well, but the same pace. You know, and it's, 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 it's very much that, that we can do things efficiently and sometimes quickly and so on. But it can be for the sake of doing it well uh, rather than trying to get finished, and that I think that's a big lesson in 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 um, doing things well as craft, but also in in how we approach um, learning, how we approach meditation, this whole idea of trying to get something finished, you know trying to get to the end of it. and so the mind becomes get to the end of the sitting or get to the end of cleaning up or get to the end of the project or get to the get to the end. And, and all the time we're losing we're losing the sense of presence and yet the sense of presence is where non-desire is. Desire is always this movement in time, isn't it? But non-desire, where's non-desire? It can't be tomorrow. Non desire has to be here now. So can we work hard with non desire? Functionally, sure, we have a desire to f- fix a lawnmower, and we need to, and we can't say to him a chemical "Well, I was practicing non-desire, and so I didn't do it." <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you, no, I'm sorry. We're not going to feed you if you do that. <laughs> so that's not it, is it? But can I can I do something? And obviously, I want to get it done, and I want to get a good product, and so on. you can be silly about this, but. But there is a difference between just focusing and how do you do this, how do I fix this? Our our genius from LA, he teaches us that a lot, how he can really just focus on something. I'm sure you're never trying to get anything finished, right? (laughs) But there is something about work which is very, very rewarding. I suppose, like, I don't know. You know, I've never cooked a meal for the sangha, I'm embarrassed to say, Um, but I bring in the cakes, (laughs) like you have, what, two and a half hours to produce a meal for a dozen people. I suppose there's a lot of pressure in getting it done, but there must be a way to do it, doing it fast and efficiently rather than just stressing and trying to get it done. And those are little lessons, but I'm, I'm sure in the kitchen you'll see people who rush around trying to get things done and people who move around efficiently and get things done. You can, you can see that quality of mind. And so work in the forest tradition is very much a, 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 um, a question of, of developing your, your inner character. It's not just like you do work and then you do the stuff that's good. You know, where, where their meditators really are, or something like that. You know, it's all—it's all very important. And then, you know, as a samana, over the years, if you do develop manual skills, you know, it's quite rewarding to offer some skill to the well-being of the sangha, to to take care of the requisites that the lay people offer us. You know, this is quite a a very uh, rewarding part of of uh, of the human you know, of, of, our, of our capacity to, to do things and then that enhances the silent meditation, the formal practice that we have, because you, then you feel, you feel quite, um, I would say, mature. You know, it's not like one's waiting for someone else to do this. No, I'll take it on, I'll try to do this, I'll try to get it fixed or whatever. So then you feel very much a, a, like a mature member of a society. Rather than um, someone who is always kind of dependent on everyone else or something, as someone as we live dependent on others, certainly for our four requisites, but that that doesn't have to be infantile. you know it can it can be humble, and then we ourselves we can kind of contribute. how can I, what can I do? How can I do it well? And then how can I do it so that it, it at the end of the day there's a sense of fulfillment. Because I've done whatever I had to do well, rather than a sense of kind of uh, kinda rushing to the next event. That, that doesn't that, that doesn't really produce good results. So do do look at your work habits. Do look at when you when you're. You know, sometimes people are searching for a screwdriver or a screw and and. You know, sometimes you can see, they—they. I mean, that's all, their whole mind is, How can I get this thing? (laughs) And I do that, too. But that's a very suffering state of mind. And the mind can stop and say, well, what do I really need now? I need a number eight screw, and it needs to be two and a half inches. Where are they? You find it much more quickly. Much more quickly. So this might sound very idealistic, but it's this, this continual awakening to these little habits um, that begins to um, uh, illuminate the desire-mind. Not just the kind of obvious desires of sexual desire or, or you know, these very strong desires, but it's the kind of the mind, this of bhava and vibhava that goes on in the mind all the time, becoming and getting rid of and struggling, and the awakened mind, non-desire. Non-becoming, non-aversion, non-rejection, non-resistance, all this. You know, these are very beautiful states of mind. We, we couch them in the negative or in the absence of rather than the, the non-desire. So it doesn't sound very, very exciting. But isn't that what we're really seeking? Like If you could get everything you wanted and you could be free of anger, I'd go for free of anger. Because I know that every time I get something I want something else. So is that you know are we looking like if you're if you're going back to the theme like of annoyance or aversion towards each other um, is that where's freedom there is freedom that everyone else behaves the way I want them to or is freedom lie in non-aversion? I think I'd choose a non-aversion. Because the other won't work, no, the other one, and that's to me what the third noble truth or cessation. Or is think that you know, our real home is non-desire, non-becoming. So when we when we when we couch it in terms of like when we use words like cessation, it sounds like you know you reach some cliff edge and then you're off and then never have any desire. Maybe that works that way. But also, it does work in terms of noticing non-desire. So, just like waiting for the meal, you know, waiting around, hearing me tell jokes, or tell the same story again and again. (laughs) Poor guys. Uh, And then the mind just starts to think, or whatever. But just like, to brighten the mind in those times of waiting, non-desire. No thought. Not the future. No time. And these these times where one is waiting for something to begin or waiting for something to end, the mind just usually, you know, can very easily just pick up thought, go with the worry, go with the resentment, go with the fantasy, but actually using those times of, of, of awakening, non-desire. What would non-desire feel like? Non-resistance. What would that feel like? So this, this sense of inquiry, dhamma-vijaya, is, is a very brightening kind of possibility in our, in our conscious experience. Because habit is very dulling, isn't it? Just blah, 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 blah. And then aversion is very dulling too. You're just trying to get rid of the blah, blah, blah. That doesn't work. But brightening the mind with a question. What does non-desire feel like? And you're not looking for a, 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 an answer in thought. You're just noticing. And that's the reflective mind. And that might apply to whatever habits you have. You know, that kind of question like, well, what does resentment feel like? And then you're awake to resentment rather than resenting. What does the future feel like? When is the future? And these kinds of questions. So... Um, yeah, the practice, you know, the practice is twenty four seven, isn't it? But um, the the idea of forced monasticism is to, to really integrate everything all the time into this liberation of the heart from desire. And and it's when again, when we when we really awaken is when desire is frustrated. And that's the point. That's the point. Are we are we interested in non desire? In the frustration of desire, or do we make a choice to desire? And right there is the point of, of liberation, or of uh, further uh, embed, embedding in the whole in the whole song song cycle. All right, I'll leave that for your reflection. <coughs>